Hey, welcome to Afikada's Movie Night Podcast, Kawalis. We are revamping the series and we're starting off with a really special episode with Mohamed Kordofani, who is the writer-director of Goodbye Julia, a really powerful film about Sudan. It's our honor to have you on the series. Um, Mohamed, welcome to the series. Thank you, Mikey. Thank you for having me. I wonder if how you feel when somebody introduces the film that way, if they say this is about Sudan. I wonder if that feels right to you. Yeah, I think so. Even when I, uh, uh, when I'm asked what is the film about, I, I usually start it's about uh, by saying it's it's about how Sudan split into two countries, but more from the social uh, um, perspective, and that's that's in a in a nutshell before I I get in the story of the yeah of the film. But I think yeah I think it's about Sudan and, and how it's split into. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the film is in many ways like a small, intimate story, right? It's like a very intimate um, story about two people primarily, but it's about so many bigger things. Um, so maybe let's set the scene before we before we have a, a, a broader discussion. So um, it takes place a few years before this referendum. Um, but people who don't know much about Sudan, I'll give you the floor for a second just to set the stage about why you chose that moment in Sudanese history. Um, and maybe a little bit about the referendum would be useful too. Yeah. Um, the film starts in 2005, right after the signing of the Nefasha peace treaty, uh, which ended, I think it's the longest civil war in Africa, about 50 years. Uh, and and this treaty gave the uh, the SPLM or the Sudan People Liberation or the people of the South in general it gave them the right to vote for independence or unity after a six-year transitional period. Uh, sadly, a few months after the signing, uh, the leader of the SPLM, Dr. John Garang, dies in a plane crash. Um, and this uh, sparked uh, uh, a lot of riots in, in Khartoum and in, in many cities around Sudan. But the story starts, uh, the story of the film starts on that day. Uh, and in Khartoum in particular, where we are following our protagonist, who is uh, uh, Mona. She's a, uh, an, a former singer from the no- north uh, who is living in an in, in a upper middle class house in, in Sudan. Uh, in Khartoum in particular, and she's in a struggling marriage. Um, and we're looking at, we follow the story uh, through her lens uh, and in, in that house. And the film then goes all the way up to 2011 when the referendum happens and the Southerners choose to secede. Um, uh, and yeah, it ends there. So the question is why I chose to to. To focus on that time, I think it's because it was it was not only a pivotal time in our our history uh, of Sudan. I think it was also a mischance for uh, the Sudanese to reconcile and uh, to sit and really iron all the the past issues and maybe admit wrongdoings uh, if, if if there were any and and you know have a um, 
some sort of a, a social reconciliation, similar to other uh, uh, nations, you know, like what happened in Rwanda or, or South Africa or many other countries. Uh, unfortunately, we settled as people. I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about people. We settled for the, this uh, uh, treaty and, um, and there wasn't any real effort to uh, persuade the, the, the southerners to uh, try to remain united. And uh, rightly so, uh, when the referendum happened, they, they voted uh, for secession uh, with a whopping 99%, which is mind-boggling. Yeah. I've heard you talk about that um, being sort of like the seed of the story. That's that that moment where you saw that result, 99% of people saying, okay. we want we want to split up. Yes. Like, how could it possibly be that high? Like, if you ask, yeah. if you ask like 99% of, you know, like a soccer team, what, what, what jersey to wear, they wouldn't agree, right? Exactly, yeah, and I always, um, and, and I always talk about this because people make fun of, uh, of our beloved food in Sudan and I, yeah, uh, because we eat it every day, you know, we love it that much. But if you ask 10 people if they want to have like barbecue or food, you wouldn't find nine people who would say uh, uh, barbecue. So having 99% of, of a nation saying no, that's, that's definitely not a political disagreement. It has more to it than that. And uh, I think only someone who is in complete denial would say that there was no uh, racism or uh, that the people of, of South Sudan were not um, uh, subjected to um, unfair treatment. Um, yes. We live harmoniously. Yes, uh, not everyone is raised in Sudan, but uh, a significant uh, chunk of, 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 of northern Sudanese practice uh, racism and prejudice uh, knowingly or subconsciously, because these things are passed on from generations, you know. And uh, and I was one of these people. I, I think myself always as an example of someone who realized that I had ingrained racism and I didn't realize it until I saw uh, uh, that uh, percentage. And then I started to question myself and, and rewind back in, in my own memory. Yeah, it's like, it's staggering to watch. I mean, um, for me, somebody, I've never been to Sudan. Uh, you know, watching Mona, the um, one of the one of the two main characters in that car, driving away on her phone. Basically, in my mind, it's like this is like a white lady in the South in America, right? Like driving away from, um, you know, a poor black woman. But these are two Sudanese women, um, or in this case, the Sudanese uh, um, man and Sudanese woman. In my mind, I'm like. Where where does the racism come from? But when you're making this film, I really wonder, are you making this film as a, a window for the world to see Sudan or a mirror for Sudanese to see themselves? As I said, uh, uh, this, this, this time of, of uh, this period of time was a mischance. Um, but then again, we had another chance, not for the South to come back or for Sudan to get united. I think the South is long gone. It's a sovereign country, uh, I saw now. But 
to preserve whatever happened, uh, whatever left of Sudan as uh, as united, we needed to do this reconciliation. We needed to let go of the privileges of the center uh, versus the periphery, the Arab versus the African. Wow. And right now, with what's going on with the war, I think things have, have started to change anyway. But before that, when we were making the film, uh, it felt like the 2019 or 2018 when the, the, the revolution happened, this was another opportunity for the, 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 the Sudanese to um, find a new national identity that really brings people together instead of, you know, the things that drive the thought. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about um, sort of the events since April 15th. Um, so for people who are who get who get a chance to watch the film, it's on sort of the festival circuit right now and sort of going around. Um, when people do get a chance to watch the film, it would be easy to think that this film was made in a post-April 15th context. I really wonder how you would have done this film differently. Is it even impossible to imagine um, what this film I would have looked I, like? I, I think I, I would have made the same film. I don't yeah. think um, the world right now changes anything. At the end of the day, this is a part of our history. Um, and it is, a, it is a very important part of our history. And I always get asked, don't you feel like the, this racism is kind of fading away with generations? It was worse 20 years ago and it was even worse 40 years ago. So, yes, uh, the newer generation is like, it's much better than the, the old generation. But still, people will wonder in 50 years what happened in Sudan back then. And I think that the, the, the film gives them, it, it is at the end of the day an artistic piece. It's not. Uh, a historical document, but it shows you, it gives you some perspective on what happened on the, the social, from a social perspective that led to that separation. And I think it is, it is important. And as you said, it is, this is not only uh, Sudan relevant. If you take this um, and, and look at it through a, a more universal lens, you'd see that um, it is just a call for, um, for oppression around the world, for people with uh, who are holding on to privileges that are unjust to let go of these uh, privileges and double check themselves uh, as individuals. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you. Um, so you know, I'm like preparing preparing for this interview, and I see <laughs> Hamad Kordofani spent his career as an aviation engineer. That's correct. I really wonder if you feel like that was a um, a something that, if that part of your career, the fact that you didn't study film in a traditional sense and um, and sort of uh, enter this career as a 21-year-old, if you think that's a superpower or you think that's a setback? Um, I, I used to think it's a, it's a setback but until I, I got... Until Goodbye Julia got accepted in Cannes. Yeah. And right now we're, we're, we're selling uh, in cinemas all, all around the, the region. 
in France and soon we're coming to uh, Germany and the Netherlands and so many other countries. So I, I had a lot of self-doubt on whether I can do this. Uh, right now, I don't think so, but, um, but yeah, I, I think I missed a lot. Um, not a lot that if I'm not able to make things anymore, but um, uh, a lot to feel like I don't have enough time. And maybe this is also part of why I was able to make this thing because I've always felt like I'm behind, I'm way behind, and I need to work extra. Uh, I need to put double the effort and do double the job to to catch up. So in a way, it's good. It gives me motivation, but in another way, I always feel like I'm behind and I don't know as much as other people know in the industry. How did you actually like? I was watching your short film, Nykirk, right? Um, how do you, how did you even approach your, like prepare yourself to do that? I mean, if I had spoken to you 10 years ago, 2013 or uh, 20, 2008, right? What sort of skills do you have? I mean, how did you even prepare yourself to do this thing? It's not a very, it's not very often. I mean, there are, there are these like iconic stories of like James Cameron and people like this, but. How did you do it? I mean, I I was not a um, a cinema. Were you like a film? You're a film geek or no? No, no, no I'm not a film geek at all. I used okay, to cool. watch film just like anybody else. Uh, but I I wanted to study fine art when I finished school, and my father wouldn't get me. Uh, he thought it's not it's not a job for men. Uh, so he said you can do art in your free time, but you have to find a, a job that pays. And he kind of have a point. If you're in Sudan, you wouldn't pay that much. You, you do uh, art, at least in that time, with that mentality. Uh, but I started writing uh, since I joined college in 2002. And I, I used to write short stories that nobody reads. I had a, I had a loyal fan base of sports. Uh, and... Uh, and later, I, I picked up a hobby in, in photography. Uh, and the same camera that I used to uh, use for photography had that video feature. It was a 5 d Mark II, the first DSLR to have that feature on video feature. And it looked stunning. It looked just like film whenever you take video. Uh, and I started playing with that with, with family events, and I later learned uh, editing. But it just hit me at some point that if I... Uh, make my short stories into film, maybe I'll find more audience than, than readers. And I it took a small uh, filmmaking uh, course online because back then I was uh, full-time at that engineer in Bahrain, uh, just so I understand how to um, change the, the, the structure of a, a short story into a screenplay and how to direct actors. And, but it was, it was Really, not that much. Uh, I think I learned a lot more in by making the first short film than by this book. Um, but I was still not in deep cinema in the sense. I just wanted to make my story into a film, but I didn't know anything about this. But then, uh, when I made my second short film, uh, it got picked up by Partachin Festival, and it actually won the best. Uh, Arabic, short Arabic film, 
Uh, yeah. the NASA award. Uh, and, and and they invited me to go to the the festival. And when I went, I I got introduced to independent cinema for the first time. And I felt like I this is when it hit me that I didn't know anything about filmmaking. And um and I, I fell in love with Iranian cinema and Eastern European cinema because until then I I only knew Hollywood and Egyptian cinema. These are the two things that I used to watch. Um, and I stopped making films for a while. I just, uh, I, I, I spent time watching a lot of uh, international cinema and kind of reverse engineer what I liked and what I didn't like. And every time I get a goosebump, I pause to see what happened. How did that work? Uh, um, and yeah, I think that's that's how it happened. But I, I, I until that point, I didn't think I would take this as a like a full um, like full time career. It was just a hobby, and I'm, I used to enjoy it. But when I started writing Goodbye Julia as a feature film, you cannot really um, shoot a feature film if you are if you have a, a, a full time job. And I started to think about switching careers. Eventually, I did it. I did it when the COVID hit and the, all the planes were grounded. And it was like a sign for me because I was very hesitant. And it was like God saying, now what? Uh, just yeah. uh, change careers. But I still don't know if it was the right move or not. We'll see. It's funny. Me and you did the exact same thing because I switched careers during COVID too to start Africa to full time. Oh, really? What, what did you do before that? I was at the time running a, a consulting firm. Yeah. yeah. So did also you, did, similarly, um, no, do the right thing, be the yeah. be the good boy. Um, it's funny you, you though. As you're, you don't seem to regret. I'm no. I think the jury is out on yours and out on mine. I think I think you're doing. <laughs> I think you're doing fine. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, it's funny as you're talking now. It's you do. There are traces of the engineer brain. Um, as you're talking, you're like, I would see something, I would pause and I'd be like, how exactly did this work? It's like, you're yeah. like an engineer, like un undoing the, the remote control. Like, how is this connected to this? And how is this connected to this? Like what yeah, exactly I, happened? If you, if you're an engineer for 16, 17 years, there's no way you can take that out. Of you. This becomes part of how you think your mindset. And if it's how you yeah. look at the world. Uh, I'm very problem solving oriented and reversing when you're oriented. I, I want to know how everything works. Uh, that's not yeah. just in. I mean, if I if I just find a toy or I find, I want to know how it works, and I, I do the same with uh, with films as well. I guess I I dissect them and I try to understand why it's working or why it's not working. Yeah, it's funny. Like I was uh, like watching this. Um, film and then immediately as i'm watching it i was like this reminds me of that uh iranian filmmaker who made a separation this has That's so has, exactly and then yes. as you're talking you're like i watched all these iranian films it's yes, uh, uh he much must be a it. must be a yeah inspiration yeah yeah he is uh, yeah. he's my favorite uh, um, filmmaker i some films i don't like not all of them but but I really love the separation. I love salesman. I love about him. Uh, and I actually flew 
all the way to Portugal to attend a master class by him. And I met him there and, and we had a chat. And it was like the highlight of that year for me. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's a lot of Asghar Farhadi in my writing. Um, I'm, I'm so interested in the way he makes uh, mundane life and the thoughts uh, seem interesting on, on screen and how he always have this uh, model of good versus good in, in his speech play. And this is something I, I, I also have in Dubai, Julia. There's no villain character, you know. There's yeah. uh, just normal people who make mistakes. Yeah, that's the yeah. There's this uh, um, relatability to every single choice that isn't quite the right choice. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I I did this thing goodbye, Julia, for another reason. I think um, I think the first step towards reconciliation uh, is understanding why the other party did what they did. Um, yeah. If you, if you understand, in Goodbye Julia, you don't have to agree to what Mora is doing or to what Akram is doing or to what Julia uh, did, but you understand where they're coming from. And then uh, empathy becomes easier if, if you understand. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but this is, this happens this is the premise of the whole film, but like the moment Akram shoots uh, Santino, right? And he's talking to Mona about it. And Mona's like beginning to not sure how to explain the situation. And he says to her, um, why are you making me feel guilty about this? A man was running at me and I was protecting my house and I would do it again. And I, as I'm watching that, I'm like, guys got a point. <laughs> like it's a mistake for sure. And it's like not the right thing to do, but it's also not the wrong thing to do. I could un I, I can understand it. And I feel like this is filled with that. It's, it's not the right thing, but it's not the wrong thing exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, you, you can argue that, you know, like she did, you, you could have shot him in the leg. You could have shot in the head. You could, but you can also see his point. Um, so, and there's a lot of that in the film where you yeah. don't know who, whose side you take because Okay, I disagree, but I understand at least. Um, and I think it works quite well in favor of the film that um, I, as a filmmaker, I'm not, I'm not uh, being judgmental to my characters. Uh, of course, you can see my voice somewhere, but, he, but I'm not uh, siding with, with, with characters in the film. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you about one specific moment and yeah. why it was important to highlight this one specific detail. Muna's at the restaurant. She's in a niqab, okay? Yeah. Ordering, uh, asking about if there's going to be some band playing, right? Yeah. They say there's no band. The waitress says there's no band. She says, okay, thank you very much. She gets in the car. Yeah. You could have cut immediately to the next scene. Yeah. But you very intentionally take us into the car as she's driving some distance and slowly removing the niqab. 
and taking yeah. taking her gloves off, you show the gloves on the steering wheel, right? Yes. And slowly you make choices. Okay, you're going to watch her take the glove off and take the the veil off, and and do this transformation that she doesn't even think twice about. She's doing it on autopilot. Yes. Why was it so important for us to see that transformation and the and the sort of autopilot way that she did it? Um, I I wish I could give you a philosophical answer, but there isn't any. Yeah. Uh, this is just part of why she was not paying attention to the road when the accident happened. And um, I I don't have any like subliminal something or anything for, for, for that moment. She she just takes things off and there's the moment she hits the kit, she was putting the up or the things in the in the, in the back. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. For me, I'm like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, there's gotta be this is such an interesting it's such an interesting choice. Okay. Okay, interesting. Um I want to talk a little bit about this idea of reconciliation. Were other people also surprised by this 99%? I know that there were a lot of people who were sad. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of that now after the film. A lot of people are sending me their own stories of when they, when the Sudan separated. But I think the, the result being shocking, this was just me. I don't know mm. why. Like, I don't know if anybody else found that the 99% was Shocking. Maybe some people thought it's not an actual thing, like many of the referendum results that we get from around the region, you know. Uh, but actually, that referendum was was agreed. It was agreed by a lot of people that it was transparent. Um, I know people were sad, but I don't know if, if anybody uh, thought about uh, doing anything. It was like. It felt like it's over. Uh, so there was no point trying to do anything at that point unless you, you want to make a change. Yeah. What was there, what was the um, two questions about Khan? Okay, so you your film, first of all, gets accepted at, to go to Khan, right? Yeah. And then it gets recognized for winning this incredibly prestigious award, the Freedom Award. What did it feel like to to go for the first time? It's your first feature. You get accepted to go and you win. What did it actually feel like? The, the, the news was, getting the news that I was selected in Cannes was a lot more uh, exciting for me than the award. Um, being in Cannes is very overwhelming. You know, you don't know what is going on. There's a lot of people. The PR wants you, the publicist wants you. You're doing an interview here, you're doing one there, you're meeting this guy, you're invited to this dinner. So there is no time for you to process what is going on, at least for me, being in camp for the first time. Uh, I was just like, um, I was running around like a headless chicken. But uh, receiving that email uh, was so... It was one of the best days of my life. I woke up, I just checked my phone. Very bad habits, but I, that's what I do. I wake up, I check my phone. And usually it's a lot of emails and work. And it gives me anxious for the rest of the day just by, by doing this. But that day, I, I the first email I checked was 
when I opened my inbox was that email and I opened it and it was uh, Christian Jewel saying congratulations to love your film it's selected in which is exactly where I wanted to be and I remember I didn't call Amjad the producer or or the actors or anybody I just switched on the music and I got up and danced for a good one hour um, and yeah I don't think I'll I'll ever forget that day because we, there was a lot of um, problems that happened just before we started shooting and we were supposed to push the shoot, uh, but we were so keen, so we were adamant to shoot in November, the latest, so we can make it to Cannes Film Festival application, uh, the deadline. And we uh, took a lot of risks in order to do that. And, and when it happened, uh, naturally we were here. So because what are the chances of you getting in can? It's not a very high chance. And when you're like risking, at some point it feels like you're, this is not exactly the best um, uh, decision to make to just rush into production to, to catch that deadline. But if you make it, then it, you know, it becomes a nice tool. It did like, so you're describing the feeling of joy, right? Yes. Were there any other feelings? I mean, it's a very emotional movie. The idea that to be accepted at, to be selected to go to Cannes and to be considered for the the prizes means that a lot of people are going to see this film. And yes, not and only is... see your work, but also see the the story. The story is really powerful. It's really moving. I wonder... If if there's like other emotions like swirling around, it, it, this is where the joy is coming from. It's not coming from having an an, an emblem on on your poster. It's coming from all the repercussions that come from being in camp and You know that now uh, it's not just the people in your circle that are going to watch the film. The film is going to transcend that. And I honestly didn't know how far. Uh, can can push your film, but it does. Uh, of course, your film needs to be good, but uh, but can really help in in getting your distribution in, in France and getting your distribution in in, in Europe and in finding sales agents. Luckily, we already had Matt who were sales agent of the film before we even started shooting. But there's a lot of things that come given that there's press coverage, there is uh, network, um, and yes, everybody. Every filmmaker makes their film with the hope that the film uh, gets watched by the most amount of people. And in my case, I was trying to kind of merge uh, art house with mainstream cinema, not because I, I love to do that, but because... See, I, I, we, we, we are in a very tricky situation as Sudanese filmmakers. We, we don't have an industry in Sudan. There is like, there are less than four or three theaters in, in Sudan that are working. So you can never make, generate enough money to cover the cost of making a film in Sudan. So in a way, you need the money to come from outside. But a film like Dubai Julia is made with an intention of doing some social impact for the people in Sudan. So making that film 
becomes like a project that you uh, you have to study carefully in order to make a film that goes to a prestigious festival so that you can have some sort of uh, international exposure so that they, then the film can go to other countries. But at the, in, at the same time, you want to make the film so accessible to your people so that they don't feel alienated, like you're making the film for someone else. Yeah. yeah. And and I think we kind of succeeded in making the film accessible and um, and easy to follow, easy to understand, gripping with a, a lot of elements that play with the just the mainstream audience, like like music, like murder, uh, uh, a secret that is discovered, and all that lovely uh, hook for for audience, and at the same time preserve or create an artistic value within that work that really make the film more important than just an exciting story. Yeah. What has the reception been among the Sudanese community that you're connected to? Whether they live in Sudan or whether they live in Bahrain or, or wherever. Um, what has been the experience that you um, felt? It, the, the reception exceeded my expectation. Yeah. I knew that uh, uh, I knew that the people with some people will like it. I didn't think it will become a national sensation the way it has become. But part of that is because of the war, sadly. Uh, uh, I, I have very strange feelings towards the war. I, I hate it. I want to stop right away, but in a way, it helped the film. Uh, and the, 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 how the, peop- the Sudanese people received the film uh, helped us theatrically release in so many countries. Um, there were more than one reasons, but the, the Sudanese people in Egypt in particular, when we released the film, they, they were the reason the film went from we started with seven or eight screens, I think, and it went all the way up to maybe 30 uh, screens because there were no tickets. Uh, all the screenings were sold out. And that in turn made, uh, made it easy, maybe easier for uh, Max Solution, who was doing amazing work uh, 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 selling the film and distributing it, to uh, screen the film or release it theatrically in the gospel. Uh, I think this is the first Sudanese film ever to be uh, theatrically released in cinemas, in, in commercial cinemas. We've always released in, in, in cinemas like Akhil, with Hussein, but uh, not a lot of, uh, I don't think any other Sudanese was like released Cineplexes in commercial. and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I'm very grateful for the Sudanese. Uh, community all over uh, all over the world uh, even in, in, in our Oscar run in, in, in the United States we didn't have much budget to do screening so the Sudanese community in most of the Ivy League universities uh, arranged for screenings in, in their colleges in, in their university. We did one in Harvard we did, we did one in Yale in Princeton, in, in Columbia, in uh, I don't remember the names, but I think we had like 19 screenings in total in a span of one. You know, it's interesting because the film is, is 
a social critique, right? In the end of the day, my first question to you was, is this song, is this film about Sudan? But in many ways, it's a film about you. It's autobiographical in many ways. Like it's a loosely, you're a loosely veiled version of Muna, right? Yes. And the initial fear and racism and, and, um, um, classism and Islamophobia that she displays or, um, not Islamophobia, but like religious, uh, discrimination that she displays, um, you're, you are criticizing the, the, the nature or the origin of that fear and that, um, thing that separates people. It's hard to be, it's hard to feel criticized in many ways as a viewer, right? As a viewer to sit down and to maybe see, you see yourself as that Muna. It's hard to feel that. Have you gotten pushback at all of people saying, hey, you're overdoing yeah. it. It's not that bad. Come on, this is ridiculous. Yes. Uh, but until this, I mean, I get that history. A lot of people are, are, are saying, um, we are not that bad. We yeah, make like, us seem uh, very racist and all of that. But I, f first of all, there is a representation of a good uh, citizen in the film. That's uh, the studio owner who doesn't show any uh, prejudices towards. On the contrary, he was very kind-hearted to, towards uh, Julia. So not everyone in the film is racist. But I understand where the, the criticism is coming from. But luckily enough, I, I never had to answer to this critique uh, uh, because usually you see them on, on, on social media. You know, people write posts or they write comments. Yeah. And the amount of, um, the amount of reverse or, um, or, or replies that they get from other students people who are saying, no, this was, uh, this was real, this was happening. Is enough to show you that at least there was this was happening. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I, I don't have to say it. You, you have other people who are not part of it and saying that uh, uh, this was was happening and this was um, uh, a problem that we needed to address and we still need to address to this day. And I think that the war made people more accepting to self uh, criticism. And, uh, we're, we're, we're softer now. We, I, it, war itself showed a lot of our bad uh, side. We're, we're just humans. We're like any other nation. We're yeah. not, we, we tend to uh, try to portray ourselves as the most courageous, the most hospitable, the most generous, the most. And these are rightfully so some of our traits as a, as, as, as a nation, but we also have a bad side. That we, we never left that. Uh, the war made that very clear for everyone that some of us are not as nice, some of us are not as uh, kind-hearted, or some of us abuse people in their weakest time, uh, as we have seen in a lot of rent prices jacking up in Sudan, extremely not just by. Uh, X2 or X3, yeah, we're talking X10, X15, and a lot of people are uh, actually um, abusing the fact that people want to run away, and it, it's not it's not our best um, perception of ourselves. So, I think 
again, war helps people to accept Yeah. What do you think um, it has, um, I mean, that, that prejudice that is at the core of what you're sort of exploring here is definitely stretches across the Arab world, definitely, right? Um, and whether it's imported into Sudan or the history of that is is kind of besides the point, but it's definitely something that can be uh, a criticism that can be levied at Lebanese. I, I'm talking to you, I'm in Beirut. It's very real here. It's real in Cairo. It's real in Saudi. It's real in the UAE. It's real in a lot of different places. Um, and since this is being shown across the region, and since you, and you've been living in a suitcase for for many months, you're on the road constantly. You were in Bahrain uh, for a long time. How do you think this sort of lands on those eyes? Do they see the connection? Do they see themselves in the in the story? It's, it's funny you, you asked this because we were just talking about it. I was talking about it with uh, also a Lebanese uh, friend. And I think the film works best. Like, there are a lot of people, uh, three kinds of people. Like, one who is uh, not racist, and, but they definitely see racism around them, so they understand what the film is about. And there are people like Akram who are racist and they know they are racist and they're comfortable, comfortable, comfortable being racist and they watch the film and they're like, this is stupid. Um, racism is everywhere in the world, so why are you like making a big deal of it? Yeah. And then there is uh, people in the middle who don't realize that they have racism in them in one way or another. For any kind of prejudice, it doesn't have to be racism. It can be because the film uh doesn't only take talk about racism, it talks about yeah. other social injustices yeah. and separation in general, not separation of self to them, but separation of man and husband, uh, husband and wife, separation of uh, mother and, and son, separation of child. So the theme in general is uh, separation. Uh, and, and the people in the meeting who, like Mona, while watching, they realize that wait, maybe I need to double-check myself. I think the, these are the people who get touched by, by this film the most. Um, and and, and I, I see a lot of me in them. Uh, and, and maybe that's why the film communicates well with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another theme throughout the film, which is music, art. And this yeah. idea that like art can set you free almost. Yeah. Um, you know, Mona, the character that we've been talking about is this sort of the singer who has become a closeted singer almost at this point. Yeah. Right. Um, but interestingly enough, the film has no score practically. Mm -hmm. I, I'm like watching Just... it. I'm a musician. I'm watching. I'm like kind of halfway through or not halfway through, but 25, 45 minutes into the film. I hear a scored song for the first time. And yeah. then I was watching with a friend and I was like, I think this is the first time I heard music in this film. Yeah. Yes. Like I literally said it aloud and like, this might be the first part of any score. Um, 
Walk me through that justification or that thinking um, and this idea that this like art will set you free. I think art can send you free is, as I said, my, my own struggle and how I like to see my own uh, path coming uh, in the near future or the far future. But this is how I want to see myself. I want to see that I've done the, the right uh, decision by switching from aviation to, to music. Uh, but in a way, it uh, does purify people. And, and I, I find therapy in film, uh, in filmmaking. I, I, I get to know my own self. I've never been the kind who understands themselves. And I understand myself mostly writing. Uh, I didn't know that I'm writing about myself until maybe draft four or draft five. So in a way, there is something in art that really purifies you and, and becomes therapy to you. Um, and the other part of the question is, uh, what was it? I, I lost my, my the, train of thought. The music, the ah, score. The, the score, yes, yes. I love realism in, in, in cinema. I mean, in, in a, every time a score plays, sometimes I feel like uh, I can see the film. And it, it takes me away from that realism, maybe more into the familiar, the mainstreamish kind of cinema, which I don't mind. But for this specific film, I want it to be be as realistic as possible. Uh, and and songs doesn't do that because the, the, the songs are coming from the environment of, of the characters. It's not it, 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 it imposed uh, on the film like score. So I wanted to stay away from, from score. And at some point, I didn't want to have any score in the film. But, um, but I worked with one person, it was Mazen Hamid, who was the music producer who did the song in the film and did the scores uh, in the film. And this made it easy to experiment, like um, have have a lot of score and then no score at all, and then some score. And because it was also his first uh, feature film uh, uh, experience, he was also open to, to, to that idea, as opposed to having like a... Uh, someone who's just for score and then he does all the score and then you don't use it because you change your mind. Um, yeah. So that, that made it easy, easier to, to experiment with the score because I wasn't sure until I started telling him uh, how much score I wanted during this. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something nice about filing that I find sometimes more interesting than sound. Just the same way I feel about shadow or dark being more interesting than light. And I do this in the film as well. There's a lot yeah. of a lot of the time you feel like there is more dark than, than light in the film. And I, I think that too plays well for for the bright music. What was your brief to Mazin for the songs that he wrote? Uh it was actually written in the in the screenplay. Um, for this original song that we did. Yeah, in, so in, what what was it? I mean, what it, what were you trying to achieve? It said, uh, Mona stands with uh, his grave and the mic in front of her, and she's singing a song about um, uh, saying um, a farewell to an old uh, lover who, despite the relationship not working, she remembers them with... Um, 
sort of a nostalgia and uh, a good will, and she wishes them uh, that she wishes that they have found happiness in their life. And, like there is a, a, a breakdown of something that resembles the, the lyrics. And, and then imagine uh, gave uh, this task to Muhammad Hamid, who's the poet who wrote the words. And, and I think yeah, maybe. maybe the fourth or the fifth attempt was just uh, the lyrics for, for Bilea KF, which is just the song of the final Amazing. Um, I want to ask you about working with the two actresses, the two main actresses. It's my understanding that both of them, this is their first feature. Um, tell me how they reacted to the, the material itself and the story itself. Um, I think the man who played, uh, Mona, uh, found a lot of, uh, similarity, uh, between her and, and, and Mona. Uh, uh, and that really helped her embody the character. She's not like Mona in so many ways, but she's uh, like her in so many ways as well. And I think she was smart and, and capable enough of like using only the parts that uh, are similar. Uh, she, it, it took us a lot of like practice for the, the shoot to understand the motives because a lot of what's in the character's head are not said and it's not even in the script and you, you have to do a lot of um, uh, talk and about the backstory and about the motives, about the intention. And this was the fun part, I think, of, of prep because we have those discussions after the table read or during the table read about why Mona behaved the way she behaved or why Hakram behaved the way they behaved. Uh, and uh, for Stiran, who played Julia's uh, role, um, she can definitely relate because she was uh, raised in Hatun. And, uh, and she had this story that she always tells that after the, uh, the referendum, um, kids uh, threw stones at her. And uh, they told her to go back to her country, to her country now that they have voted for for desolation. And this was very touching for her at that moment. But at the same time, she had so many beautiful memories and so many uh, friends from North Sudan that she's able to um, really like fetch emotions that are positive and negative about this issue and relate to it in so many ways. And I think it shows in the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard these I, these moments of of separation. You know, I, I grew up in I grew up in Cyprus when I was a kid. Uh, my parents left during the Civil War, Lebanese Civil War, and I spent a lot of my childhood in Cyprus. And you know, Cyprus had a civil war and there's northern Cyprus and it, what people call Turkish Cyprus and Greek Cyprus, right? Yeah. Um but when you live there they don't really think right. of it as that way. So many people, Greek Cypriots are from the north and the, the Turkish Cypriots are from the south and they had to, to move and separate and in all these really traumatic, unnatural ways. And, and when, you, when you speak to Cypriots of a certain age, they say, we're not two people. This isn't, this isn't two people. You know, maybe two different religions, but not, definitely not two people. Like we, 
are living living together, this would like be be like separating people who are right-handed and people who are left-handed. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Is that typically if how most of the people on the set felt as they were making this film? Yeah, I mean, in certain groups, you don't feel any different. Uh, people mad. Well, you can't look at this without looking at the country. There is a long history of slave trade in Sudan. And this is kind of the, one of many reasons that this racism has been passed on from, from generation to generation. And then there's also the, the British colonizer who uh, is another reason for this division. Um, because not only did they um, uh, take in the, 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 the people of, of Arab descent and make them, give them better education and develop their, their area, but they also uh, did something called the closed territory uh, law or something where they segregated, they separated the north from the south for some of the history and prevented the people from the north from going to the south and, and vice versa. Um, and this also created this division, and then you have a lot of failures from the political uh, parties that came and ruled Sudan, and and you have the wars, 50 years of war between the north and the south. So this is definitely not cyber. This this is something that has history, um, and uh, although there are group of friends who don't suffer from that issue, there are other people who, who do. Yeah. Um, before we, before we wrap up, uh, what are you working on next and, and where can people see the film? Uh, I mean, I'm writing right now. I'm writing uh, an episode in a series. Probably a Netflix or something. Uh, I'm also writing a Bible for a series that I'm working on. I'm not working on any film right now. Um, I think I'm going to take a break because I consider films uh, very personal. So they usually take longer time. Yeah. So I think for now I'm, I'm working more with TV. Where can people watch the film? The film is still in cinemas. This is the 13th or 12th week of Egypt. Uh, there are a few uh, theaters that are still playing, playing the film. The film is uh, still showing in GCC, except for Bahrain, I think. But for GCC countries, it's showing uh, each month three in France, in a few cities around France. And uh, just yesterday, I was, uh, I was reading an article that... Um, I think published by Matt that uh, it, uh, it had good news that the film is coming to, to uh, Italy, Germany, Sweden, Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Taiwan. There are like many countries that have Australia, uh, New Zealand, um, and hopefully uh, our uh, sales agents in North America, Hampi and Flight, will secure a distribution deal soon and you'll have to film in the States again. Uh, so, the next six months, I think the film is going to reach most of 
uh, maybe not most, but a lot of countries uh, around the world. And after that, we will be looking at uh, streaming platforms. Cool. Um, well, for anyone listening, you probably, hopefully not too badly, but you can probably hear a lot of noise in the background. The reason yeah, why that's true that. is because you've been living in a suitcase for the last month, a few months. Um, and so you're in a hotel right now. I, Muhammad, I really appreciate you making the time to do this. I know your schedule is crazy busy. It is an honor having you on the series. And, um, uh, I love the film that you made. It's a really beautiful story. Thank you, Mikey, and thank you for having me on our feature. It has become one of my favorite pages. Uh, I, I, I go back and watch old stuff uh, yeah. every now and then. So Amazing. good luck with uh, Fitra, and uh, hope you keep in touch. Thanks so much. All right, everybody, if you're listening to this, this is probably you're listening on to the Africa podcast feed. Also go to the Kawalisa movie night feed so you can see all of the rest of the movie night um, episodes. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.